0: You're listening to the AID Network.
1: Listen up, friends of adventures and design that are in bands. I want to explain to you why you need to get a sticker order going with jackprince.com slash circle of trust right now. Not only are Jack Prince stickers completely durable, you can put them on a guitar case, you can put them on a road case, you can put them on the bus, you can put them on the van, your fans can put them on their cars weather-tested, and ready to go the long haul. But not only that, because Jack Prince can create for you any custom shape that you need, that means you can get that perfect cut around your band's logo, around the artwork that you just created. Whatever promotion you're running, don't let any borders get in the way. With three premium stock options available and full-color printing at your fingertips, if you need to put the cover of the last album on a sticker or that painting you had an artist make on a sticker, No problems, no worries. We got you covered. And the most important part in today's world, free liner printing. On the front of the sticker, put the artwork, put the name of the band, put the thing that the fan wants. But on the back, explain to them, where's your website, tour dates, exclusive downloads. Use the back of the sticker for free to communicate the message that you need your fans to know. Oh, that's a lot of information, but it's all stuff that you need to know and it's stuff you need to grow your band and grow it on a budget 500 stickers about 25 cents per sticker when you listen to this show jackprince.com slash circle of trust get the sticker order started for your band right now free shipping on all domestic online orders Welcome back to Comment Below. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic. I have really great news to share with you and everybody at home.
0: Okay. Well, hit me with it.
1: I'm going to hit you with it. I just got back from my doctor, and I have been diagnosed with perfect 2020 vision in my right eye.
0: So you're half cyborg now.
1: The robot eye took inside my head. Um, I was legally blind in my right eye just two and a half months ago because of a severe cataract. All removed, super expensive, cutting technology, robotic lens put inside of my human eyeball. Went for my month out from surgery. Perfect vision in my right eye. Perfect vision. And guess what? I have a month and a half more of it getting better. I could go beyond what humans are capable of
0: wow, you could go to the next generation of humanity as far as just vision goes because you're not getting there any other No,
1: God, no, God, no, God, no, not at all. But I'm very happy. I just came back from the doctor. I'm very excited. But I'm also excited because today we're going to do one of uh, a new series on Comment Below where we take one person, one thing from entertainment or whatever part of the world we want to talk about, and we dive in and talk about seven things that we love about it, or maybe seven things that we hate about it. But today, and it doesn't always have to be seven, it's just whatever we whatever we land upon, but we chose seven things that we love about Linda Cardellini, who I feel like is a young lady because she's about eight months younger than me. <laughs> I feel like she's a young lady that has really kind of came into her own uh, in the last couple of years Although with her strong debut way, way back in her career, Freaks and Geeks, we've been aware of her for a long time, but that childhood career shit, it can sometimes get you on a wild path, but it seems like her career has really been on fire the last handful of years.
0: Yeah. You know, I play this little game inside my head sometimes that people would probably think I was crazy if I told them, but I'm telling a whole lot of people right now. So I I do this I little, wouldn't say like, a whole
1: lot of people.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I do this thing where I'm like, okay, if I could catch, if I somehow ended up casting a project or I was in Hollywood and I was making a movie yes. or making a miniseries or making a TV series or whatever my different categories I'm going to, who would be my go to in my pocket, my my ringer for mm-hmm. casting mm-hmm. for different categories, like for my, you know, my, for like the best criminal I could put in a movie or the best shady person or the best whatever. She, pretty much any project that I could get on, I would find a way to put Linda Cardellini in there because she would fit so many categories.
1: She's super diverse. She's a very, very diverse artist. And let's get into our very first one. We've got seven things today that we love about Linda Cardellini. Number one, dead to me where she played Judy Hill over on Netflix. If you haven't seen this, I'm going to give you a high recommendation, quick 30 minute, tight edit videos 10 quick episodes. This is a great thing to watch when you got that 30 minutes of TV that you're trying to fit in before you got to go out the door or wind it down at the end of the night. It takes place down the street from where I live in Newport and Laguna Beach. Uh, two women exactly in my age group, uh, although we'll say way more successful than what I am. But it, it's it gets into that new level of TV where is this a comedy? Is this drama? Is it a mystery? Is it suspense? Like it's all of those things. And I think in the new world of TV, you can't just be one dimensional. You have to be a show where every time you watch an episode, you're like, wow, they really went in a different path this time. Or this one wasn't as funny as the last, but my God, the suspense is killing me. Like this is a show that's super diverse, which would be a good reason to cast Linda, LC as we call her, because she can play all of these emotions. And with Judy Hell, sometimes she's funny. Sometimes she's very suspenseful. Sometimes she tunes up the drama. Like she leans into this part opposite of Christina Applegate so well. It really feels like it's a culmination of all of her talents. And I think that this is uh, award-worthy acting in this show.
0: It's award-worthy acting for, for both of the actresses in it and the show overall. This show is a perfect Netflix show. Yep. That that I hate that word binge-worthy, but it's exactly what it is because it, it is quick. You could get this in in a couple of days and still live your life, but what you're going to find out is it has that thing that when Netflix does something right, it's as soon as that episode goes it's starting to go off and they pull that little thing up the bottom like next episode in three seconds or whatever – You're going to go ahead and hit that because we've got a shock or a surprise or something intriguing at the end of every one of these. And you really don't know where the show is going from week to from, from episode to episode. Now, if we were watching this week to week, oh, boy, it would be a hard week to wait.
1: And also when you watch it week to week, because it is a 30 minute, we'll say sitcom, but it's way more than that, because it is a 30 minute show. I feel like sometimes those are the ones that you kind of forget that you're watching it because week to week. Memorial Day pops up, maybe it doesn't air, or maybe your life shifts around and you're not where you're normally at, Tuesdays at 8 o'clock or whatever, and I just feel like there's a lot of 30-minute shows that have fallen between the cracks, but the streaming saying, this is our 30-minute show for the next five hours or the next five days until we run out of content, but I think there's a really great lesson in there for all of us. Um, The world is moving incredibly fast. And let's just use TV as, you know, sort of a symbol for all of society. Whatever you're into today, either it didn't exist 15, 20 years ago, or if it did exist, you had three flavors of it. And now... There's unlimited streaming, unlimited network, unlimited different ways to watch TV. So I think as artists and creators, and I've been on this same path, with, both with my art career, and my podcast career, you've got to evolve and you've got to be a lot of different things. And a show like this that doesn't pinpoint itself to one style guide that allows itself to be sweet and sensitive, outrageous and funny and cringy, but also very suspenseful and, you know, uh, who did it. it? It's... It's so much fun, and that's how you should create is allow yourself to be all those things because that's actually what's needed for survival.
0: Yeah, I think shows like this that are doing what you're saying are the ones that we're, we are talking more about and we are texting someone going, hey, have you watched Dead to Me yet? Yeah. I think you did that with me. And I was like, oh, I gotta, I'm going to start it. You know, I'm going to start it. And you were like, oh, we're whipping through it. Uh, and this is the show that is perfect for this kind of actress, Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate. They can be all of those things. There's moments in this show where you're going to identify with them because it does deal with like loss and then of different types. And then there's also like, I don't know. It's like the snarky, like kind of smart middle-aged woman, yeah. like comedy in it, which is a sweet spot for me and probably for you with Beth. I know it has, has oh, yeah. Beth enjoyed this show? Yeah.
1: Uh, Beth found it. She watched it without me and just plow. I, I think I was at Disneyland one Friday night. She watched the whole series one night by herself.
0: Yeah. There's just uh, you know, that little bit of dry, dark, comedy that seeps into this and it's already a dark subject, but I can identify with like both of these people and, you know, they will be just, and also there's just like the, the, the skill they've got there of like the quickness and the timing of the comedy along with like the sadness is like really compelling.
1: It is a weird thing that when you've taken a journey with actresses like Christina Applegate and, uh, Linda Cardellini, where when they were young, we were young but now our generation is playing the parents and not just the parents, but parents of teenage children that are dealing with narcotics and guns at school and getting older. And it kind of, it's wild when you go on these journeys with people. And, you know, when I was a child, to me, Michael Jackson was just this new pop star that released this amazing song called beat it. And my dad was like, Oh, Michael Jackson. And I'm like, how does he know who he is? My dad's not hip. He's certainly not cool. He's not like a vinyl like music nerd. And you just you don't realize that, well, that's a guy that my dad grew up with and that the Jackson 5 and Michael Jackson had been through his whole life. So it's, it's very interesting to ride along with these people. I will ask you this, though. With a show like this that is funny and it's quick, it's a tight edit, time flies when you're watching it, but each 30 minutes – they twisted their main storyline a little bit more. So you're going through a maze and you're trying to figure it all out. Can a show like this have a successful season two?
0: I think a show like this can have a successful season two if they've plotted it out and they have a beginning and end, and they're not just going to try to write it for as long as it's successful. If they think this, I've got a three season story. Yeah. And then they know how to pace season one, season two, and season three. But if they didn't plan for two, and then they're going to try to write two after they found out if they're renewed, I think that's asking for trouble. We see that a lot. You could, you and I both as season TV people can, can go, they didn't know where they were going, didn't think this was going to get picked up. And yes. now they're like struggling to... You know, realize that more people are going to be in and watching and they want to keep those viewers too instead of just doing what you know. Write what you did. Write what made you successful. Or don't you like, invest your time in it. Like say, I'm going to write this like I'm going to get two or three renewals. Right. And go ahead and be ahead of the game.
1: You know, that's that's something that I've really tried to do with both the podcast and, and with creating other content, you know, YouTube, for example. I try to always leave a little something behind. So even though I'm now up to almost a thousand podcasts, there's still very big tent poles in my life story that I've never told the audience. And I've specifically told stories in a certain way where I avoid major parts of my life because I still want to have something left to tell them. And I've also avoided with adventures in design where I interview artists and creatives, I've also gone really out of my way to not interview some artists and creatives because I want to have some people left. You know, if you just plow through every big name as fast as you can, then a year later, people like, Oh, I remember when he used to interview big people. Now he just talks to his friends all the time. Like you got to pace yourself in life, both with your projects and your storytelling.
0: All of us have been to concerts, and you can learn a really good lesson from a concert, the pacing of a set list.
1: Oh, crucial.
0: It's the same thing you got to do with your career, uh, your projects, whatever you're working on. If, you you know, the Rolling Stones go out there. Well, the Rolling Stones are a bad example. If uh, a new artist that's had a few hits goes out and plays those second, third, and fourth in the set, and then they want to bring in the new material and kill you with that for five songs. Everybody's in the bathrooms yeah. or smoking or going out to the food court or whatever. And then, you, you know, they may come around back in for whatever else they think, you know, the end of the show is going to be. But you don't want people to lose interest. And so you don't want to also, you don't want to be rehashing. You know, if you had dumped out all your stories in the first hundred episodes, where would you, how would you have gotten to or get to a thousand episodes? You wouldn't.
1: Absolutely, and I've left back really big, juicy storylines, and I'll let them out when I feel like it. If you're in a band, pro tip, two really great spots to slide in one of your new songs. Start your set with the new song, because people aren't going to leave for the first song, and there's already a natural excitement of you stepping out on stage. And then if you come back for an encore, do a classic, new song, and in with your best song ever. If you sandwich a new song in your encore, nobody's leaving during the encore either. Those are two spots where the audience is not going to make a bathroom break on you, and they will hear your new track.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite things about being such a Springsteen uh, fanatic that, that, that I am, and that we've gotten, you know, I haven't been to like hundreds of shows like other people have, but I've been to a fairly good amount. I love that I don't know what I'm getting. It's whatever he writes down before he comes out. But after all of these performances, he's a master at it. And, he's and what give sign you...
1: catches his eye.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, I'll get so mad at those shows because I'll see people who have, you know, a song that we know he's going to play Badlands. Don't waste your sign on Badlands. Don't, don't do that. Let's, let's find something interesting. Go to pull. deep I... on that
1: sign. Go deep cut.
0: Yeah. I've been to, uh, probably going on 15 shows. I still haven't heard Racing in the Street, which is my favorite song.
1: You know, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I have never seen him play live. When are you yeah. going to come out here to L.A. and we're going to do it together?
0: <laughs> Man, if he plays L.A., you you pull your Hollywood connections and get us a ticket.
1: I'll do what I can. I got a guy at the Staples Center. I'll do what I can. Uh, yeah, when you look at somebody like Bruce Springsteen, that's a guy who built his career for longevity. And it really personality-based career, really, when it comes down to it. And I had the fortune of interviewing Jay Weinberg, who's Max Weinberg's son, and he told me, uh, you know, there was a tour where Bruce wanted to keep it in the family, and he goes, "How about we get little Jay to play drums?" And so, <laughs> little Jay played drums, and uh, he told me this amazing story of Bruce, Uncle Bruce, came over to the house and had a list of 180 songs that he <laughs> needed to learn. I'm like, you need to learn 180 songs, and Jay said that. He was trying, his dad was showing him how to play the songs and they weren't getting much progress. And then he told his dad, he goes, I really like the way that you play these songs, but I think I need to play them my way. And he said, fair enough. Jay started playing him his way, learned all 180 songs. And so being, you know, both a huge music fan and respect to Bruce and wanted to be a good interviewer, I said, well... Jay, when was the first time you ever got to play drums for Bruce Springsteen? He said, "Oh, first time I ever played with him in front of an audience was
0: Giant Stadium, <laughs> one of those like five night in a row sellouts <laughs> of like a hundred thousand seats. The, I the, mean, epic, the shows are expected to be epic because they've always you been in an epic. imagine?
1: It's like hey, Giant so I'm Stadium, first time. To- but I mean, in a weird way." better to play in front of 100,000 people than 100 people because you can't even see their faces. They're like in cartoons and they just become little dots.
0: Yeah, you're just up there, I can imagine, on the stage in your own little world. You're just watching Bruce at that point. And
1: And Bruce Springsteen is one of the things that we love about Linda Cardellini. Our number six thing on our list. (laughs) So, this time around when we do uh, a show about what we love, Connie was nice enough to let me put the list together. And what I did was I started with Dead to Me because I really wanted to say, hey, that's where she's at now. But I want to kind of look at some of the threads that got her there. So my number two thing was Meg Rayburn. She played Meg on Bloodline for three seasons, 2015 to 17, also a Netflix project. But when I thought about it, just like you said, if you had the script for Dead to Me and you're trying to figure out how to put this thing together, you would say, well, I need somebody like Meg Rayburn, but funny. And really, everything that she did in in yeah. Bloodline is everything that she's forced to do now in Dead to Me. But sometimes, because it's a buddy with Christine Applegate, sometimes playing the straight man, and sometimes playing, you know, the the, the wild card. And uh, I, I was like, oh wow, when I was looking at her list, I'm like, these are sister projects. But just what a difference in tone when oh, it's the yeah. same sort of principal storytelling wrapped around 30 minutes of comedy and one hour of serious drama next to coach Taylor.
0: Yeah. I think noticing another thing between these two projects is the ensemble around her. Mm -hmm. It's like, she seems to have been blessed to be in great ensembles that are also great projects. So which makes the other, you know, is it the ensemble or is it that the project brings out the best in the people? I don't know. But now that you say that, I really do think, yeah, that, that her character in dead to me is if the character in bloodline, <laughs> <laughs> Moved to California to pursue her her career there. Yeah, left that get from, old
1: sweaty Florida.
0: Get away from that fucking horrible family. Oh my god, what a family! And head out to to uh, Newport Beach. Is that where you said it was? Yeah. yeah, it goes out there. I could see her getting with the guy she's with in. Dead to it, me, and then it's not it that being far the off. same person. Are we sure? Maybe that she is an under-assumed name in Dead to Me.
1: Oh my God! If we find out next season that it's a a bloodline crossover, <laughs> and and John, her brother John, shows up, it'd be amazing.
0: But Man, you, if if Coach Taylor uh, shows up as a one of the police detectives,
1: I'm gonna be like, oh wait a minute,
0: this is <laughs> this is crazy.
1: But you know, she's an actress. You know. Every artist is kind of known for doing a couple things really, really well. And one of the things that Elsie does is she plays conflict and conflicted so well, you know, like mm-hmm. she does a really good job of, she's got like a handful of faces that she can make on the drop yep. of a dime that you can read her face and and read her mind at the same time and hear her inner dialogue of struggle of, well this is my brother, but this is what's legal, or this is my new best friend, but I have a burden on my shoulders. Like she plays conflicted so well. And one of the other themes that you'll see in the, the appearances of hers that I picked today for us is she also plays a character several times that is never happy. Even when she does get happy she plays self-destructive really well. And we kind of all know those people where it's almost their sweet spot is having something to complain about. And so in bloodline, even when she leaves the keys, goes to New York, tries to remove herself. Every time she tries to remove herself, she still does self-destructive things with her behavior, with her dating, with her choice in men. Like Meg Rayburn is completely restless. And that is something that LC plays very well.
0: She plays it all the way back to her beginning uh, show, which we will talk about. It's almost like it's not a lack of self esteem. Mm-hmm. It isn't that she isn't a strong person or character when she's playing them, but she won't allow herself to settle in and just be. It, there's almost like a I can't even, it's, I'm losing the words for it. It's, it's a vulnerability, but it's almost just an apprehension. Right apprehensive about everything and not sure, but at the same time, like always as a character that is, or plays people that are very confident at the same time. So it's a weird mixture, but it's very intriguing.
1: Yeah. She normally is very good at playing a woman who's not uh, reliant on a man. They're always independent women. They're always women of some sort of status or, or some sort of career, but just has that big, conflict in her gut whether it's created by her or by someone else and uh, we'll get into another uh, appearance of hers where this bloodline appearance really kind of plays into it and you know it I think when we look at her career one of the things you can really take away from it is that you know when you play one character you're basically auditioning for all your others Mm -hmm. so when you're a creative whenever you put out a piece of your artwork, regardless of the discipline or the medium, you're always on audition for the next one. Absolutely. And when you see the the hop from Mad Men, The Founder, Bloodline, to Dead to Me, when you look at that four series hop, that is definitely one of those characters, one her, the next one over. And it it kind of reminds you that, you know, you're always auditioning, Even when you get the job, you're still auditioning for the next gig. You know, like just because you're at home right now and you got hired to do work for whomever, don't forget that just because you got that job, your career is not over because that's the project that's going to land you the next three. So you're always auditioning your whole life.
0: Yeah, and for an actor, it isn't like a paper resume with a list of jobs on it. It's the impression you left with people when they watched or they experienced or or they felt whatever you were doing in your project. Linda Carlini or Elsie, our friend Elsie, reminds me career-wise of another favorite of ours who is also doing the best work of her career on Netflix right now. Can you name another person that you and I love, one of the best female characters on Netflix right now?
1: Uh on Netflix.
0: On a show that we absolutely adore and has had a fantastic, never bad performance career. Is it uh, our girl my, Zoe? No. Uh Laura Lenny. Our our Wendy Bird. Oh. From Ozark. Oh. It's one of the same kinds of careers and the same, we held in the same esteem pops up in everything. And when you see her, you're like, Oh shit here, this is, this is getting good now.
1: That woman plays wound tight so well. And really because of Ozark, I now have two different O faces. I have, <laughs> I have my Ozark face and my actual O face, but Oh man. Why did you know when we talk about our show of X things that we love about somebody help me out with her name. Cause I can't get the name out to save my life. But from Big Love. Uh, Chloe Savani. Chloe Savani. Yeah. It's the last name.
0: Chloe 70 Savani Savani. The last name gets me. Yeah, If people want to go in the comments and and phonetically put out how they think her name is, that'll be great, because neither one of us ever know, and we talk about her far too often.
1: I love her, and speaking of Bloodline, she was a character in Bloodline. Now, she's normally not ever the lead guitarist. She normally plays rhythm or a little bit of bass, but when she pops up in an ensemble, you're like, oh my god, she's in this one too, and it just, I absolutely love her. She did, she was the leading role, though, in a I think it was a series based out of Scotland where she played a pre-op. Help me out with the sexual terms.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, that show came along before, you know, uh, so people were more educated. And um, so it's looked upon poorly by the community of. Folks who are involved in, you know, transgender rights and issues and representation. But that show was just great. It was called Hit or Miss. Yes. And you turned me on to that. Yes. She was a um, pre op transsexual, transgender person, which I don't know what they called it then for her. But can I do that in layman terms was, to,
1: the, to the people listening? She was a sure. chick with a dick. Yes. You got to see Zoe or <laughs> Chloe with a dick.
0: And she was a top class assassin.
1: Like Top of her class,
0: hit hit woman, man yeah, hit, hit man become hit woman, um, so stylish and well made, and she was just perfect for that role, based a lot on physicality, but also just the performance.
1: Oh, great, great career, great person. Once again, she's one of our favorite things about Linda Cardellini. Yes, but did you enjoy <laughs> Bloodline?
0: I enjoyed the first season immensely, but it was. And I, I'm not a hater of a slow burn. I always say that I do like a slow burn. I'm willing to dig in and I'm willing to sit with it and let it take me where it's going to take me. But that one, man, it was just so oppressively dark and slow. And there no there were no redeeming qualities, I don't think, for anyone in it. And it was just it was spiraling down. And then the end of the first season, bam, the finale was great. But as I started to get into it for the second, we just didn't go back for the episodes, So I didn't finish it. And I, I don't really know why, but um maybe because i knew it wasn't coming back that happens to me sometimes too but i did not finish out bloodline uh, sorry elsie i had to bail on that
1: for me bloodline put the question mark in my mind about dead to me because bloodline had a really nice crafted story for season one Season two, the story got a little bit broader and season three, the threads got very, very loose. Now I still love the characters and I still love the tight situation that they were wound up in. So I'd highly recommend watching it, but it it really changed. One of the best things that happened to me from watching Bloodline though, was putting Ben Mendelsohn on my radar who played Danny Rayburn. I've... Yet to see anybody else on TV play a villain as well as this guy does. I mean, like my all time favorite villain is Darth Vader just because he's bigger than life and he's an icon. But as far as a unmasked bad guy, I mean, this guy you want to just murder. He walks across a room and you're like, this is the scummiest of scumbags that ever existed.
0: He doesn't walk. He slithers across the room. And he's just that guy that you, you we all know one. And and there there are ladies too, but you just get a bad feeling. You're just like, this guy, it's just no good. He's just up to no good. Uh, will manipulate anyone for anything to serve their purpose. And the guy is masterful, though. Um,
1: He just exudes scumbag. And I'm like, I feel so bad for him if he's not that way in real life.
0: I I bet he's really like funny and charming, though, (laughs) because he he seems to be getting cast in everything and people love him.
1: He played a very similar character to Danny Rayburn uh, in a small, low budget Brad Pitt movie called Killing Them Softly. And he, did not see he played a, a really just a, like a junkie criminal and he, and he was partnered up with, do you know, um, Scoot McNary from Hulk uh, catch fire? Obviously I know Scoot. He is also our good buddy. I yes. love Scoot. He's our bud. <laughs> so those two are a couple of knuckleheads that are kind of in it together. And one's just as slimy as the other, which is perfect because I love both of them. But regardless, Danny Rayburn and bloodline great character playing opposite of coach Taylor, who was playing a character called John Rayburn coach, John Rayburn. Um, <laughs> they, they were really, really good. And then in season two, they cast an actor to play Danny's son and whoever cast this character did an amazing job because the kid looked just like he could really be a son. And the, he was a very, very good actor. So um, that was one where I'm like, Oh, he has a kid now, but the kid did the impossible, which is stand in the shadow of that guy and not break it and not fall apart. So really, really great show. Meg plays, I guess, by default, sort of the middle child and the only girl of uh, now a bunch of brothers. And at moments... You think that Linda Cardellini is going to be the voice of reason, and then ah, that self-destructive—that she's so good at doing, playing—you know—a a victim of her own, you know, demise. She gets in the middle of all of it and makes it just as messy.
0: Yeah, she's really good at putting herself in bad situations. Yes, that may be the best way to put that for that character and that seems to happen a lot to Elsie in her roles.
1: Elsie, Elsie, let's jump over to a smaller role of hers. You pointed this one out to me when we came up with the idea to do this. She was in 2005's Brokeback Mountain first off. How did Brokeback Mountain come out 15 years ago now? Like it that doesn't feel that long ago, but now let's fast forward. What a great 15 years it's been for working in lgbtq in the mainstream media because it was shocking that those two fucked in a tent and now we see shows all the time where gay men kiss gay men have sex like you know people were willing to give lesbians a pass yeah but gay guys is when a lot of people are like whoa, whoa, whoa where are you going cowboy <laughs> but these two cowboys came in and now the world wishes they couldn't quit you
0: they were up there stemming the rose That's right. on Brokeback Mountain with that wonderful little little role by Randy Quaid, crazy ass sex tape Randy <laughs> Quaid in that in that movie. Um yeah, I mentioned this one when when we were going through the rundown because I didn't want to forget it because it's a tiny role. She has two, basically two scenes. Um and it's a it's a trope or a, a stereotype that you know, they're in a small town and there's the bar where everyone goes or, or, you know, the little restaurant. And I think those are the two scenes that we see her in, yeah. in this. And she's that, you know, smaller town woman who's maybe getting close to the age where people think, Oh, she hasn't gotten a, a good man. You she hasn't gotten a man yet. She hasn't settled down. And she herself as women will do worry about that. And you can, you can read that in her characterization in this, in this film and poor, What's her? Did you get her character's name in that? I don't even remember. It's uh, Cassie. Cassie. Poor old Cassie. Doesn't even get a
1: last name. That's what a small role it is.
0: <laughs> Just out there looking for a good man in, yeah, in the Looking in, for in, a little dick? Out west. And who does she get but Heath Ledger's heartbreakingly sad Innes Delmar, who, you know, the fact that we're getting so off topic talking about this, but it's a it's a testament to all the great projects she's in. The fact that he got his Oscar for playing that goddamn Joker and for not for Brokeback Mountain, is a travesty, it, it, and and he got it after he died anyway, which is is bad enough. But I cannot put on Brokeback Mountain without getting into just like a crying fit. And yes, back 15 years ago, we couldn't we didn't they didn't even screen it in Bollinger, Kentucky. We had to drive to Nashville to see the gay movie. You know. Um, which it's not much better, but uh, we did go see it, and it was a thing where I could tell there were a lot of people coming from the outer areas to oh, yeah. would see it. Like, oh, okay, we got to go see this when it comes out. It might not be here another week, you know. But
1: I realize played. it's basically the plot of the movie that I wanted to make: Small Town Gay.
0: <laughs> we should work up some funding for that. If uh, We get Leda Cardellini in it. That would be great. <laughs>
1: hey, would you be on my <laughs> movie called Small Town Gay? It's about she a guy was. that works at a truck stop that dreams of all the the handsome men that comes through. <laughs>
0: Well, back to her part in broke back. She claims that like the 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 girl who's like you could tell she was just like probably the prom queen yeah. or the head cheerleader, but she stayed in that town too long. Yep. And you know, good man's hard to find and in a small place like that the pickings are slim. And she meets Ennis, who maybe by the fact that he's a closeted gay is a little nicer than the other guys, a yeah. little and plus, he's reserved. He doesn't talk much, which we all know, the tall, dark, handsome stranger thing. Well, you he's know.
1: entirely good-looking. He's yes. not super into her, but he's also polite. So she's reading this as, this is a challenge. This is something that's worthy of my time. You know, those are three things that can sort of... You know, because she's very attractive in this movie. This is, I think, one of the first roles that I really recognize her as being adult and sexual. And yes. if she was... The prettiest peach in a small town she's probably used to a lot of the dickheads you know hassling her and hey you know the, my wife doesn't need to know if we go out back and
0: yeah the guys who were the jocks in high school when she was the head cheerleader who are you know their peak years have gone too they peaked in high school and they're still around there and probably just you know she's had a lot of bad relationships you can tell and I, you know the fact that she's had two scenes in this movie and we're able to break it down this much yes speaks a lot to what she did in in that movie and the the quality of the movie and the writing of it um but you know it's just you know it's not going to end up good for her the minute she sidles up to him and gets him to reluctantly come out on the dance floor a guy who's you know never going to go out there on his own but he's not going to tell her no and he goes out and dances and then then we find out later spoiler alert that you know they he kind of just ghosted her and and things drifted apart and it you know, I think she is so. And they have a, a scene where she's very upset with him. She comes in with another guy, and uh, and he is just dis, you know, disaffected about it. He has no emotions. He's flat, and she is obviously very upset with him. And it leads to you know a, a bad feelings and an upset scene. But again, two small scenes. But she's like a a firecracker in that movie. But and I, uh, it, unexpectedly.
1: And I think that. The big lesson to take away from this is in 2005, her career was in a weird spot. I mean, at this moment, sort of the biggest thing that she had did was, I believe, like Scooby-Doo, you know, which is probably not a project that you lust after and definitely not one of the seven things that we love about Linda Cardellini. But what I think that this says is, you know, there's a high level of importance for all of us on the projects that we pick And when you do get into a project, maybe you're not the leading role. Maybe they didn't give you the top-level part of the creative process that you want. But pick good projects. Do your best work while you're there. And really stretch it out with what you're given. Now, don't go so far and work for free and give people more than what they pay you for. But they brought her in to do two scenes. She nailed them. She acted the fucking tits off that character and she put in so much story per second that we spent with her that we're actually able to contrive our own backstory for this girl because you feel like you know her Yeah, and to be able to, I mean, I know this movie was very well written and I think it's a shame that he got his, uh, Oscar for the Hulk and not Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> That Hulk movie was horrible. Yeah. That's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> horrible. You can't even believe it's the same guy, right? Ang Lee or yeah. whatever his name is? Yeah. Yeah. That's insane that he didn't know both of those movies. Regardless, yeah. though. Talk about talk about different tones. Oh, yeah. my God. Talk about not knowing the project to pick. But the time that you spend with her in this character, it really, really shines. And I think that if you look at, This little audition, once again, that she did in these two clips, this is kind of who she ends up playing in bigger projects down the road over and over again. Like, this is her not being freaks and geeks anymore, but being an Mm -hmm. adult and being able to play that conflict well. And they did such a good job of making her sort of that that lost soul and the small community, you know, the one that just didn't get out for whatever reason, just didn't catch the train to the big city and decided to fight it out in the small town. And now the pickings are slim. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And she picked the wrong, the wrong fella. Absolutely.
1: Uh, the next thing that I have on my list here, the fourth thing that we love about Linda Cardellini, and this is a lot like her role in Brokeback Mountain in 2015, We see her enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Age of Ultron playing the wife of Hawkeye, Laura Barton. And when the Avengers end up at the farmhouse that wasn't like a big scene. It wasn't kind of crazy, but what it did do is it added a little bit of gravity and a human touch to things because all these people are bigger than bigger than real life. And I think that they kind of needed to see that there are people that have wife and kids in a house and are trying to do it that way. But once again, because she was so calming and nurturing and motherly and sort of added this rock of, of like levity You know, there's gravity to all this, like, you know, superhero shit flying around us and, you know, people that can just destroy buildings without any consequences. She put consequence into it. And because I think she did so well with that small row, when they did in-game, they had to work her into that. I mean, they brought her back because she was so good. So these little small pieces... Did I don't just spoil, spoil Endgame, Endgame for me. You?
0: I'm up through um, Infinity Wars. I finished Infinity Wars. You know, for listeners that don't know, I started three weeks ago at the beginning of the MCU, and I'm up to now I need to go to the theater and see Endgame. So do not spoil it for me because I've remained unspoiled. I know not one thing I will that has not
1: happened. say anything else then. But <laughs> what I'm yeah. saying is, is that you take a little project like she did with Brokeback and Avengers. You do really, really well with it. If you do good, they'll find a way to put you in the next project. They will find a way to work you in.
0: Yeah, and some casting director was like, okay, we need this big, fast-paced, crazy movie to go and slow down for a minute. Yes. And we need it to be a warm, um, peaceful escape for these these characters. And there was just a few little lines of dialogue there where she's like, with her relationship with Natasha. It's like, you know there that those are the, two girls that get along with each other and are invested in each other. And you wouldn't expect that from you think as Natasha is being like only has guy friends, only works with guys, only, you know, kills guys, (laughs) you know, that there's no other females in her life. But like this person like is a nurturing, positive character for her.
1: And you also question Is there some sort of sexual chemistry between Black Widow and Hawkeye? Because a lot of people have a hard time believing that men and women can be friends. But then when you see her with the wife, you do realize that they're really co workers.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's, that. that's, yeah. Uh, it's, it also gave like, um, I think it's a testament to Elsie's power that someone said, like, They looked at the other roles and they said but she can be a warm motherly type also she's not played any type of character like that before and but that's all you get there it's almost like the waltons over there where they're at you know um so i was i did not know that she was in the movie because i didn't look into any of these movies we just started steamrolling and watching them and as soon as she pops up Stacy's like oh there's your girl you know and i'm like oh and i sit up and watch so i was delighted to see her pop up
1: but that's kind of been her career where she's never on the poster she's never the first one out but when you watch the project and then five minutes in half hour in 15 minutes in she pops up you go oh fuck she's in this i'm sold that's why i brought up Chloe Sullivan because she's the same way. She's rarely ever on the title card, but when she pops in, like I did not know that she was going to be on um, Gypsy Rose, the act.
0: The act, yeah. The
1: act, the name does not fit the show very well at all.
0: No, it does. It should have just been Gypsy Rose or something.
1: Well, I Absolutely. guess that's already taken. But. I walk around the house all the time singing Country Roads made popular by John Diver, <laughs> but I switch out the lyrics to Gypsy Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Fits really well.
0: Yeah, the same with LC. It's the same with LC as it is with Chloe Savani. Chloe Savani to me. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Savani. Savani, that's what I'm, I just, it just sounds better. So I'll say that because I don't know what it is. She's like the cool girl. She's like the girl that, you know, probably was in the smoking area out in the parking lot, hanging with the guys with the muscle cars in high school, you know, and you so badly like wanted her to like give you that pass like that. She might speak to you or or, you know, comment on something about you or whatever's going on or just not fucking just not be mean to you. That's what you want. Do you know who that girl
1: for me was? You want to hear the name? It's amazing. I remember seeing her walking down the hallway at school. (laughs) And yeah. she, her jeans were ripped so high that I could actually see her ass cheek. I'm like, she's showing me her butt and she doesn't care. Her name was Becky Goatee.
0: Becky Goatee. <laughs> people call her Becky to because that's what I that's what I would have called her. Becky
1: Goatee. Does that not sound like a character from Beavis and Butthead? Man.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, definitely a <laughs> character. Definitely a great name, and you'll never ever forget that. Not oh. just for seeing the ass cheek, but you'll never forget that name for there sure. Well, to... let me tell you, and if she's listening, hey, this is maybe make your day. The girl in my school that was like that's name was Sharon Fox. Oh wow, what a name! You know, how did
1: they know when they had her?
0: <laughs> she was attractive. She was like the take no shit girl. Um, had you know all the guys liked her, but yet. If you were one of the girls that she was cool with, you were just in, you know, but she wasn't mean or shitty or any of that, you know, Regina, mean girl kind of stuff. So that, so it's interesting that both those, those women had interesting names that, (laughs) that we knew. Connie, when do you
1: remember being attracted to girls?
0: Oh God. Um, grade school, elementary, elementary school. Just always.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you've always had a, you've always had an attraction for cool guys. And how did yeah. you program your brain that you just thought, oh, he's just cool, but it's not sexual? Like, How did you know the difference between that?
0: If I could explain that to you, then people wouldn't be scared of gay people. If if, if we could put it into words, yeah. if we could let people understand that it, it's just how you are. Yeah. It's, it, it isn't one day I just said, oh, this thing. No, that's not. I, suddenly I don't longer want that or I never want, to, you know, it's just, you never, you just never do unless how you're a do you bisexual s- person or pansexual, I guess.
1: But but how do you sort, the thing that always confuses me is I get that part that you've always felt that way, yeah. but you have society telling you, like, you know, you're, you were probably raised like, well, you're going to marry a little boy and you're going to have kids and blah, blah, blah. So you're going to school and you're seeing guys like, well, he's a cool guy, but I'm not into him. Like that it, that's the part that seems confusing is you have two voices in your head, your own and then society's.
0: Yeah, and I, like I said I wish I could explain it. I just I I was always friends with the guys. Yeah. Um but I just never I guess I never fell under any of that pressure. I don't know. Maybe if like a few glimmers of like, well, I should maybe try to go out with some guy or yeah. something and it just never was a it just never was a thing. I don't know. Um but I I can remember very very strong like it's it's almost like an obsession when you're that age though. So it's like people think, you know, that you don't have those kind of feelings when you're younger, but you do, like you want to be around certain people and you oh, yeah. want to, to experience that closeness with them. Yeah. There were several little girls, you know, in, that, that I was in class with who, there was just a thing where like, okay. And there were girls that I was just friends with
1: that, that I didn't So you had divide have, it divided into two categories, chemistry oh, yeah, and were, just friends.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. There were definitely just like girls who were just the girls that I was friendly with. And, but I, I could take them or leave them. I could hang out with them or not or whatever. But then there are other girls that you were like, oh, I really want to go, mm-hmm. you know, out when, when everybody's going to the to the roller skating rink or whatever. You're like, I want to hang out with them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it, like I said, if I could explain it, it'll probably make people understand, but I don't know anyone that can explain it. It's just, it's just hardwired in, I guess. I mean, I, I'm sure that it's, I, the only kind of things that I found, um, common ground with, with other like lesbians or in, in lesbians, probably not bisexual or pansexual people that I know a lot of us have really strong mothers and, um, kind of distant fathers. And I don't, you know, I'm not a psychologist or whatever, but I don't know if it's a, if it's something about the way that my mother, like, or if I picked up on it because of how I was, I don't really know. If I picked up on these traits that, you know, in my mother that, I felt closer to wanting to be like, you know, and, and, and I don't, I find that with a lot of my, my lesbian friends that we all have like these like cool mothers or strong mothers or mothers who just didn't, you know, fall into the standard status quo of their time.
1: I always understand the part of, well, I was just hired hardwired. It was just the way that I felt like that part always makes sense to me, Mm -hmm. but I always wonder how you hear that voice more than, society because
0: it just just drowns it out. It drowns it out. It's that
1: loud. The drum beats that loud that you hear it. it. It's that
0: loud. Yeah. It's uh, it's like you're, you're on the, you know, you're Tom Hanks on the Island and you hear those drums (laughs) over there that you can never stop hearing. And you see the, you see the boat coming by and you're like, but I'm, I want to know what's over there. I want to know what
1: those drums are. See, that's the part that's fascinating to me because, you know, at, at the age that you're at every cartoon, every TV show, every movie, every book, every adult, there was no there was nothing to show you the validation for what you were feeling. So you're feeling something that you've <laughs> never been given a proper example of, but maybe the only time you've ever heard of it is isn't a bad joke or an off-color reference.
0: Yeah, or something that you 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 could catch on as a young child I would hear conversations about things and I could pick up on the way people sounded about them right if there was a movie that had some questionable relationship or an actor or an actress that people thought may have been gay like soap was a tv show that I watched when I was very young and that had the gay son on there
1: the puppet yeah
0: (laughs) That and then also, for some reason, you know, the TV show Family. Do you remember that show with uh, Meredith Baxter Bernie was the older daughter? And it had, um, okay, it was a TV show on the 70s. I don't think I 70s. remember that one, no. What well, had Leif Garrett in it and Christine McNichol. Okay. And you know, Christine McNichol, I immediately was drawn to her. She played Buddy on this show and she was a tomboy. She skateboarded. Um, I'm listening. But on the TV show, they tried to. And, and it's like, even as a young girl, I was just like, she doesn't care about this guy that they're trying to like make it that she's in love with on this show. It was Leif Garrett. And I was like, she, she just doesn't, I could tell she didn't care about him. And I don't know if it was just because of the actress and her appearance and the way she carried herself or whatever. Uh, the other thing was Facts of Life. I know you know Joe from the oh, Facts of Life.
1: One of my earliest crushes. Loved could, her so hard.
0: You can pull a group of lesbians my age and we will all name the same TV characters that we were interested in or intrigued by or obsessed with Joe from the facts of life, not Blair. We didn't care anything about Blair. I
1: I never, tootie was too weird for me and Natalie just seemed like a pain in the ass, but Blair, I I just, I never wanted to be in a relationship with a Blair because to me, this was the problem with Blair. She was all just about doing her hair and makeup and meeting boys. Yep. But Joe had substance to her. Joe had yeah. grit. Like she cared about motorcycles and she cared about doing things and doing stuff. And so when I got to the age where you finally meet girls and you get to like go in their bedroom and you walk into the room and you're like what's a girl's bedroom going to be like, I was always like, so where are your records at? Where, where are all of your, you know? And it was just like, Just caboodles, just makeup and shit. And I'm like, yeah, you were
0: like, where are the things that tell me who you are?
1: Yes. Not the things that make you pretty, but the things that make you the person that you are. And they didn't have those things. And I lost interest until I met an older girl who like was like, have you heard the Smiths yet? I'm like, no, I haven't heard the Smiths. You know, she showed me who Morrissey was. Like she put me on the path. And that's what I had been looking for was somebody that was female, but also had that. So joe was like everything to me because she represented that i could have someone who i was sexually attracted to but a buddy and that's what i've always looked for what i ended up getting actually
0: yeah and if you if you find that in life you you are. i have found that and you have found that and we are lucky lucky people for that um but i've loved having this conversation with you about this um but i wish that i I wish that I could articulate it better to be a better representative of it, but I, I can't other than just saying that it drowns out everything else, not to the point of where you're like, that's all that you're about, but it's like, um, it's just a feeling that it's just almost like an actual, like if you were in a science fiction movie, there'd be this like goo coming out of you yeah. that was connecting to all of these things that you were attracted to or that made you feel comfortable or made you feel right. If that makes a sense. It's like, I feel right yeah. with this. I, the other things don't feel right. That, right. They they make me feel unsettled. I don't feel comfortable. And that's about the only way I could say
1: it. Well, I mean, I think that's a, a good job because I understand, I mean, because we're talking about emotions. We're also talking about childhood and we're talking about all these different things, but I've always, that's something I've always been sort of fascinated with. But once again, I could ask questions about this all day long because I'm just always <laughs> curious about people who have a different yeah. experience than me. Yeah. So, I'm going to let you lead off with this next one. The fifth thing that we love about Linda Cardellini is she was in Mad Men.
0: Yeah. I mean, if it isn't the greatest show for me of all time already, and then she pops up in, I think it's season six. Yes. And that's when Don has married um, Megan Meghan. and he moved to that wonderful mid-century modern oh, That apartment, apartment is
1: so great
0: uh At the sunken living room conversation pit area, all the furniture, the fact that there were just the colors, and then and then they had the skyline of New York going along with it, and then you've got Don Draper in there, and he he does what you and I love. He's made that TV the centerpiece of the living room. If you ever notice, he has his chair right across from that TV and that little old timey clicker, and it's just every time he's doing that, I'm just like, I love it.
1: Why is but there she- such a difference in John Ham? and don draper they do something to his face that really pulls him together when you see him as himself you're like oh that's a good looking guy but when he's don draper he's like the best looking guy ever
0: because he's mysterious yeah. and he's he's not opening himself up because let's face it he isn't who he says he is Dick Whitman. and he yeah and as as open as he could ever be is like a A fraction of what anyone else's openness is and so that's attractive and there's you know it's just the other thing about Don Draper which will play into uh, the, the Linda Cardellini part of this he is there's just so many interesting things about him that we don't know and all of the women in that in Mad Men are at a different time in in his span of the show they are what he needs at that time and perfect women for him. But I, I, I bet about this with some people like who was the best woman for, for Don Draper. And then you go through the whole list and it's like, look at all of these women. And then Linda Cardellini pops up and you're like, well, of course they would put her in here to go up with him because all of these actresses and all of these characters have to be really strong, intriguing, yet tragic women. So
1: who plays tragic better than her?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Like I mean, we talked about what with, with that the face acting and the different exp- the, the go to expressions and things, which don't ever seem like forced or a put on or like a a fallback or whatever. They fit exactly perfectly for whatever she's doing.
1: There's a scene where her uh, she's played Sylvia Rosen. Her and Don are having dinner, and they're getting into a dis- domestic squabble about their affair because she's married and he's married. So they're having this conversation. And then the waiter comes up and they continue their conversation around ordering their food. And if there's ever been a better scene to show how people didn't really talk about what was happening in the 50s, this is the scene. Because they're ordering their dinner, but yet they're still continuing their conversation about their sexual attraction, how wrong it is, how Don (laughs) has already wronged her inside of this attraction. And, you know, he's just like, don't fall in love. And the way that it goes down, she plays it perfectly. And this is actually the first time she ever got an Emmy nomination. She Mm -hmm. got an Emmy nom for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series. I wanted more of her in this show. She could have taken any of the spaces as one of the head female uh, characters. But she was only in for that season, only in for a handful of episodes. But once again, she played the shit out of that character and just those scenes in the elevator when her husband would be around and the way that she played that wound up sexual tension and then when they would get to go at it and she would just sort of let it all go and give herself to draper she did such a fantastic job i fucking love i that might be my favorite character she's ever played and that's high praise because there's one more on this list that's an amazing tv character
0: oh yeah and how uh, audacious was it of them they live like one floor apart (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna work don't worry (laughs) they're in the elevator constantly he and his wife and she and her husband and like you know Don has like well Don's in the penthouse so they get off before but all Don has to do is like dip out of his laundry room door or whatever and hop up the service elevator (laughs) and And there's a side piece
1: side piece waiting for him a hot side piece
0: hot hot Don's the wealth, okay, Don Draper has everything anyway, and then he's just blessed with all of these women. I mean, let's let's look at the list of them. There's uh, Betty.
1: One um, of the prettiest women ever on TV.
0: Absolutely. And a character arc that we could talk about for a, an hour and a half just on her. And then we have um, Maggie Siff um, playing Rachel Menken.
1: Uh, what an amazing woman who always plays strong character, strongly yeah. conflicted, put Don in his place, but still couldn't say no to that lollipop
0: future episode, like five things we love about Maggie. So oh, that's let's do coming it. up. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and then he's got, uh, the only clunker in there for me. And I hate it because I really love this actress. And, um, it was the school teacher. um, And oh my gosh, I'm hating that I cannot remember her name right now because I actually have a friend who's a personal friend with her. And why cannot I remember her name? (laughs) She was Sally's teacher, that Don just went for one day to see Sally at school. Like the only day he went, he ends up like making Ah, eyes at the teacher, (laughs) making eyes at the teacher, and then becomes involved in this crazy romance with her. Um, So, and then we've got the doctor. um, Oh my gosh, why can't the blonde doctor that Mm -hmm. uh, is also the mother in Stranger Things? Did you realize she's the mother in Stranger Things, Dr. Faye? from uh Mad Men,
1: i did i guess i didn't put all that together i mean Mad Men yeah. did such a good job of bringing in such great talent but yeah. changing the way people look so they looked time era yeah. specific
0: which with elsie they totally did that i mean she's in the the i guess bouffant type hair the jackie kennedy type uh dresses of the era uh, maybe a little too much makeup maybe trying to mm-hmm. compensate for her age a little bit trying to to stay attractive for the, the doctor husband. Um, also looks like maybe she drinks a little too much during the day, which I think was established. I believe she was a smoker mm-hmm. in this. and But you you get all that, Th- those are little things that I wonder if that was in the script or if that was part that Linda Cardellini brought to it. Like, oh, we her hair needs to be this particular way and I'm going to smoke a particular way or whatever. Like I would love to like pick her brain about things like that. But God, who else did he after? And then we go to, um, to Megan. Um, so Don, those women, I mean, he just had a, a,
1: a roster, absolute, a roster of ladies.
0: Of A plus, yeah.
1: And I also respect him because he took his kids to Disneyland right when it opened up.
0: And picked his new wife at Disneyland because the way she handled a spill.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, this is a guy who lived in New York City and took his kids to Disneyland. It wasn't like he was an L.A. dad that made time for it on the weekend. Here's the thing about Don Draper that I know. Uh, I've never been that good looking and I've never been that successful, but I have had that hole in my heart and Mm -hmm. my mom abandoned me and there was just a piece of me that was missing and Mm -hmm. you replace it with women and Mm -hmm. you go through your life. And as you evolve, you find different women that sort of patch that hole for that, that time in your life. So I really understood the way that Don Draper could sort of hop from girl to girl, because Women recognize this in you and you have this sort of loss puppy dog type thing and you need care and they're willing to give it to you and you burn a lot of bridges and break a lot of hearts along the way until you finally one day I just got lucky enough to I found the person that just like made that pain go away and just completed me. But everybody else is just a patch and they get you over a hump or a bump. And that's what Don Draper is doing. And that part of the storyline was very identifiable for me because I know that feeling of literally you don't realize it at the time because everything feels real while it's happening. But when you look on it in reverse, you're just using people to self-medicate and to get you to where you need to get. And you can, leave a lot of debris in the way. So that part of the show for me was very real because I know how it is to live that lifestyle.
0: Yeah. And what was interesting to me also about those relationships with the women is he never really seemed to respect any of those women. He never valued them. He never thought of them, not as anything, but just never thought of them. But the Peggy, he did. Yes, And it, it isn't that he couldn't have come in and, and she was perfectly ready willing and able in that first absolutely first season to do whatever to to move up the ranks herself and and you know do what she thought she should do for a boss or the feeling she got from the office that she should do but he instantly and I wonder what that thing is like instantly thought of her differently you know in some different respect but all of the other women like you said they were filling an empty
1: space and and that's all they were can I be brutally honest It was her lack of attractiveness because she wasn't a 10 like all these other women who's like, oh, Mm -hmm. this one I can make a friend. Mm -hmm. And that's how that's how the man is wired. You know, like your visual aesthetics is such a big part of you. And I mean, don't get me wrong. The actress that plays Peggy is a beautiful (laughs) woman. But when you look at her next to, say, you know, Megan, January
0: Jones, January yeah.
1: Jones. I mean, the, you know, the one's a 10 and one's a strong seven. Uh, and this come from a strong six. So, uh, you know, it there's a way where once you're used to, you know, always driving Cadillacs, you're like, ah, oh, this, this would be fun to drive around the farm, but I'm not going to buy it. And so they Whoa. were, they were buds.
0: Everybody else in that office was willing to drive her around the farm. So, but so <laughs> that's a something else I about mean. he's Don Draper. Yeah, she's she's not a Don Draper girl, he's
1: top shelf. <laughs> But yeah, the way that she was able to hop in few episodes and Linda Cardellini was able to play that conflict. And, I mean, you know, if you're having an affair and I'm not talking about like, um, you know, leaving your significant other to start a whole new life, but they were literally doing this for thrill seeking. And like you mm-hmm. said, have an affair with somebody in your building in New York City, two floors away or however many floors away and knowing that your two worlds are going to overlap and you're going to have to stand next to your husband in the elevator when the door opens and the man that you're fucking walks in the door. Like and that's the best part of it. That's the best part. You think that's why they do it for that rush?
0: It is for the, what can I get away with? It's man, absolutely for that. Do not can need do that in to... my life whatsoever. Now no, affairs are so much work and so much juggling and it's hard enough to live your life like straightforward. Yeah. But if you're juggling two and three things and then you throw them in the same building in the same elevator with each other, <laughs> I mean, a wrong look, glance, word or whatever, you're ruined. And that is
1: the attraction. It it, it it's gotta be the chaos that you're attracted to because and maybe it's just because I'm not good at it, but sex just doesn't last long enough to gamble all of that. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) even if you're the best fucker in the world, that's 30 minutes. The rest of your day is really long compared to that. (laughs) Absolutely. And the damage that it can cause. So you're absolutely right. You're in this for something so much more than the gratification. It's the chess chess game or adding a level of competition or, or complexity to your life. But once again, that's what she does well. She plays a self-destructive character because she just has all the facial expressions to to play it, you know, and to tell you what's happening and to have it feel authentic and to read her
0: because you want her at all times to be all right. Yes. Whoever she's playing, whatever she's in, you want that character and it's not you not you don't want LC to be all right, although we hope she is. Yeah. You want every
1: character she plays to just be okay. And, you, and know they never are. you know why? You know why? And I hope that you can hear this in the way that it's intended. Linda Cardellini is cute mm-hmm. and not hot. And cute makes you fall in love for her and root for her and feel like you know her. Hot makes you despise somebody because, like, well, she's hot and she's always got what she wants. But cute is what you root for. And, you know, when people are too pretty, they're sort of this, well, they've had it all handed to them. Life's been easy for them. But with her characters, they're so easy for you to crush or to fall in love with because she feels approachable. And she doesn't feel like one of these statues. Like January Jones was beautiful, but unrelatable because you don't really see people that look like her in the real world.
0: And, and you can't put yourself in her problems.
1: No. Because it doesn't feel Betty's, approachable or, or, or applicable.
0: Yeah, so many of Betty Betty's problems were trying to maintain the status that she was brought up with over her looks. And that isn't something that a ton of people can, can relate to. Right. But you can relate to the the girl that you knew in high school that was the cute girl. Yes. Um, and it isn't the looks. I mean, the looks are cute, yes, but it's something from inside there's a reason for the the all-american girl next door there's a reason that that's a that's a stereotype or a type that people tend to
1: love and like i grew up being in love with drew barrymore we're Uh, we're like the same exact age a month apart and uh, i grew up just being totally in love with her and when you think about it it's not because like oh she's this classic beauty or i love her big tits or i love her perfect ass I liked her lisp. I liked the little (laughs) cute things that she did with her mouth, like real world oddities Mm -hmm. that make someone stand out to you. And Mm so I think Linda Cardellini is from that same, um, cut from that same cloth. And if you cast her into something, you know that there's a real relatability there. So even though she's going to make all these dumb moves You're invested in her. You're rooting for her. And when she picks the bad guy, you're like, don't do this because you're able to actually care about her. And it it all comes from just that aesthetic that she has. Girl next door, very cute, uh, approachable. But the way that she plays the face, like you can see... Her, what's going on in her head on her face. So it feels like you know her and she has some of her go-to moves that we all have that she does in a lot of these different characters, but those are the things that make her relatable. So I think that that has a lot to do with why she plays these destructive roles and we don't resent her for it. She's always in the middle of a murder or an affair or something that's completely devious, but somehow we feel like she's the victim, even when she does it to herself.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And that rolls into our next one that I wasn't aware of. And you put on the list. And when you put that on there, I was like, oh, I didn't know she was in The Founder.
1: Founder's oh. a great movie.
0: Oh, I know. I was, I watched it yesterday. I couldn't quit. And it's a thing where, you know, I love Michael Keaton. He's one of those people also. It's like, oh, I need to go-to for this movie. Let me get Michael Keaton. Um, and so I wanted to see that, but it just got pushed down. But if you'd have told me she was in it, it I'd have been on that as soon as it came out. And, uh, and it's... She's, again, another small role in it, but it was just a classic
1: LC role. She does Mad Men 2013. She does The Founder 2016. There's no doubt in my mind that Mad Men wasn't the audition that got her The Founder, because once again, conflicted woman of that, playing that time period, the 50s Mm -hmm. and the 60s, but she does a good job and this is going to get into the last thing that we love about her. From the beginning of her career in Freaks and Geeks as Lindsay Weir in 1999, she's always played a woman that could fall in love with a guy, that could get treated poorly by a guy, but she's always played a woman that at least stands up to the men around her. You know, mm-hmm. like she's not like super woke feminist actress, but from Freaks and the Geeks all the way up on everything on this list, she always at least challenges the men around her. Doesn't always win, doesn't always get her way, but I think that, once again, makes her human and it makes her restless. And in The Founder, she's pushing Ray Kroc. She's challenging him. I mean, she's from her own marriage. She sees the business as well as he does. In a different mm-hmm. time, she might have been the one that actually created McDonald's.
0: Yeah, she wasn't, because of her time and the and women's roles then, there's no way she could have done what he did but she knows she could have.
1: She had the vision for it.
0: She had the vision for it. She has a drive for it, the innovation for it, The you know just the feel for it. But society was not going to let her do that. So she was going to do it the way she could.
1: Yeah. But I, I, I thought in The Founder, you know, once again, she's not the person that's on the poster. You watch the movie because you're like, oh, the McDonald's story. The, the McDonald's business model is fascinated. And that uh-huh. scene where they took the tennis court, and they chalked out where all the equipment yeah. was going to be and they like fantasy made food to get yeah. the foot footing, right. So everything you had to do was yeah. one step away from your station. Yeah. Genius, genius we- scene
0: we didn't do it with chalk on a court, but we did our own virtual and in-house versions of that for our booth at the convention in Las Vegas. Stacy was like, we got to know where this table is going to be and where they were going to hang these things and where this couch is going to be and how I'm going to check people out. And we got to have a flow because we want it to be like a store. So you can sit there all day in your head and think how you're going to do that, but you need to measure it out spatially, visually, Uh, artistic, creative people. We work with the visuals. That's, We probably all did horrible in algebra, but we we slammed geometry in school, you know. I know how to measure a
1: room and then draw all of the furniture in (laughs) Illustrator and then play with the Legos until you get the perfect layout. And just like you, when I would make those big booths for my business, I would figure out, this is where I'm building the cardboard wall. This is what I'm doing with my tables. Like, you got to have a game plan because your mind will tell you you have way more space than what you really have. Oh, yeah. You'll show up with 12 foot too much stuff. You're like, well, how are we going to fit it in here? But- the founder, great movie. You're watching it for one reason, and then you get the Linda Cardellini's surprise. Boom, there she is. And going up against Michael Keaton and toe-to-toe, toe-to-toe. Yeah, and when you see her
0: in it, you can understand why he just loses all. Uh, he's having a business meeting with her husband, of all people. He doesn't know <laughs> he's her husband at the time. Um, and another handsome person there, Patrick Wilson, and he just lose he can't control himself magnetically drawn to her across the room and she isn't the statuesque knockout that you might think they would want to put in that role so in the casting of this i'm i'm like what were they thinking were they like we need something that is just a warmth factor or was it that she wasn't too crazy over the top beautiful that he would be like oh i don't have any i don't have any chance here like What were they thinking they needed to put over there that it would seem like he was so drawn to that he didn't even care about this meeting anymore?
1: And I think it gets back to being cute versus beautiful, because what do you think when you see a a successful man who's not a perfect 10 next to a woman who's beautiful? You think there's no respect there. It, it she's a trophy. She was another thing for him to conquer. Like I have the sports car, I have the house, the vacation home, and now I have the perfect 10 next to me. But you take Linda Carlini with her bangs and her doe eyes, big brown eyes that you can't even see where the pupil starts and stops. Yeah. and But also like a nice chiseled jawline. you know, yeah. like she is cute and she warms up your heart. And so then you see a guy going after an actress like her and you realize There's an attraction there. Like, obviously, she's beautiful, but there's an attraction to who she is and that he Mm -hmm. falls for. And I think if you put, um, uh, who was the woman on vinyl that was really, really, that played Bobby uh, Bob played the wife? Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde. You put Olivia Wilde in that role. He's going after her because she is gorgeous and she's Mm -hmm. something for him to conquer.
0: He's not intrigued by her. He wants to sleep with her.
1: Yes. He wants her as arm candy. But you put Linda Cardellini in that role, and now it has a more fleshed out meaning of these are people that have an attraction for each other, which all of this brings us back to the first time that we met her is actually her second project, Freaks and Geeks, one season. Can't believe that this was a show on regular TV, but when you think back to Lindsay Weir and her cool ass green army jacket. <laughs> Nothing cooler, Mark. There's nothing
0: fucking cooler on a teenage or you know early like college-age girl than the one that wants to wear that army jacket.
1: And this is it. I mean, this is she was the girl next door, literally, mm-hmm. approachable but cute. We see her play conflicted, we see the self-destruction, but we also see her play that apologetic nature she has, where she mm-hmm. flashes the big doe eyes at you. Mm-hmm beautiful smile and she sort of works the system and you never can quite figure out, is she really sorry or is she getting herself out of the pickle here? But I equate freaks and geeks to the Simpsons in that when the Simpsons started out, it was supposed to be all about Bart Simpson and it ended up being the Homer Simpson show. I feel like freaks and geeks, they really wanted to be about her brother, Sam. Yeah but it ended up being way more about Lindsay. I mean, the final scene of the series is her story arc. Like she is the grand finale to the whole thing. And in a way, you know, the show started out kind of being about the family dynamic in high school and about Sam and his nerd friends. But As it went on, it became the female version of the Wonder Years. Obviously, you didn't have those beautiful narrative scenes, but it ended up becoming the female Wonder Years. And Linda Cardellini's Lindsay Weir was the central point of the show. And her relationship with her mom, they would have conflicted but good moments. It was very much Kevin Arnold and his dad.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a uh, majority of the people that I'm good friends with that are uh, that we talk about these kind of things, or we've had discussions. What do you think Lindsay Weir went on to do? You know, like, how did this, this where did she go off on this following the dead? And then where did she, did she go to college? Did she end up, you know, what was her, her story? We don't say that about any of the rest of these characters. <laughs> She's the one we care about. She was the focus of the show. And like, I agree with you, I don't think that was the intention.
1: And I have a feeling that, you know, when you look at the cast that she was around, Seth Rogen, James Franco, Busy Phillips, um, who's the guy? Yeah. yeah, You look at all the people that she's around. A lot of those people's careers took off faster and harder, but she's kind of coming up like in the Derby, like she's kind of coming up around the last turn and hitting a good stride now. And I mean, granted, Seth Rogen is one of the most successful people in Hollywood with his production and everything he touches seems to turn to gold, but Franco, uh, he had some problems.
0: Franco's that horse that went over in the other lanes in the Derby.
1: (laughs) Disqualified. (laughs) Disqualified. Busy Phillips had her TV show that was sort of failed and she's, I mean, I like her. I think she's completely uh, adorable, but she hasn't really kind of found her anchor project mm-hmm. as an adult uh, but you see Linda Cardellini really sort of putting it all together and, and piecing it together but it's so wild to watch because today I, I put on a couple of things over on YouTube like her best scenes Lindsay Weir best scenes mm-hmm. I'm like man she was doing it all in 1999 that she's doing in 2019 like I literally finished dead to me this morning went mm-hmm. back and watched a project of hers 20 years before and it's yeah. just the same girl. It's just same girl, just we, her and I, we just have a little bit more wear and tear on the face, but same <laughs> girl, like same facial expression, same acting, like same artist. And it was just wild to see that she really had it all then, but it's just working out so much better for her in her forties, which is a whole different part of Hollywood now that a woman like her can have a career now and really be getting good project. That's a good project in her forties.
0: Yeah, other than Seth Rogen, I would say from that ensemble, which also included Jason Segel. That's the one I couldn't remember, Jason Segel. Well, Martin Starr was was my other favorite from the show, but um, he's had a a crazy career too. But other than Seth Rogen, I count her as, I mean, James Franco is, of course, more known, but I count her as having the best quality of projects.
1: Project Uh, per project other than Seth Rogen, yeah.
0: Yeah, because Rogen is doing the other stuff that he can... He can ensure the quality of a lot of his projects because he's writing them. He's producing them. he's He's got the, the back-end Hollywood game going on. Too. Which is
1: funny because he's the least talented in this project. He yeah. never really gets a big role. He kind of plays the doofus friend. like He's just kind of a background bit player in this. But man, oh man, he figured out how to play the business.
0: Once he figured out how to play the lovable goof and not just the surly goof, that took off for right. him. Um. Yeah, you know, Freaks and Geeks is it's magical. When I find someone that hasn't watched it, I'm like, Oh man, you're watch this. You are in for it. I mean, and I'm conflicted. I'm like, God, one season and, and canceled. Like, what could it have been? I think I don't want to know what it could no, have been. I'm it was perfect the with, way it was. I'm happy with that. I I imagine my my Lindsay Weir story finishing off my own way. Um, and it's it's just such a again another binge worthy show but if you come across it and have it you know somewhere and you can watch it and you haven't take my our both of our recommendations and and check it out
1: it's amazing the amount of storytelling they're able to do in one season they fully fleshed out all the characters hit so many like teenage and family dynamic topics mm-hmm. and then they ended it so well like you would almost think they had never planned on making a second season how well it ended. There's a lot of shows that are on for five, seven years that have a sloppy thrown together ending. It, it capsules quite well and going back and watching it today made me think, is that a summer project? Is freaks and geeks is revisiting a summer project of mine because it's so damn good.
0: I usually watch watch it once a year. If I completely, if I can fit it in, but sometimes I don't get the whole watch in, but yeah, it's, there's a couple of things I do like to watch in the summer and, it, it's perfect for that. And, you know, when you're watching it, it doesn't even, it feels like it's more than a season. It does. It, cause you, because they do, they pack so much into it. And it isn't like, it doesn't feel like it's just one season. It feels like there's more there. Like, it wasn't jam-packed. It wasn't fast-paced. But I think it was written so well, acted so well, and paced perfectly that you get, you know, it's not like you feel like you watched one season of a show and didn't get what you wanted out of it.
1: And the character of Lindsay, she does this great job of of playing a character that you really love, but you're not in love with her. You know what I mean? It's not like you have this obsession with her that you're like, oh, I would love to fuck her or whatever. It's more like you love her and you care for her and you want her to do well and you want her to make better decisions and figure things out. And I think there's just got to be something in there where you're able to take a character and make them feel that realized.
0: Oh, like the episode where she lets Franco and the friends take the dad's the family car <laughs> instantly i'm like no 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 don't do that that's a bad idea and it's and then they and then they on halloween when they egg um her little brother and his friends and yeah. it's just like again getting into those situations getting in the bad place somehow she always ends up in the middle of a bad idea
1: Always, always. And as she's gotten older and Hollywood's gotten more sophisticated, it seems like the bad ideas just get worse and worse every single season. So from Freaks and Geeks, The Founder, Mad Men, Two Appearances in Avenger, Brokeback Mountain, Bloodline, and Dead to Me, that is seven things that we love about Linda Cardellini and a whole lot of other things like Bruce Springsteen and... <laughs> all the other side stories we got into
0: being gay in grade school. I mean, what's not to
1: like I mean, that was hard on Linda Carlini, I'm sure that's what we do. That's what we do. All right, Connie, I picked who we love this time. Next time we do one of these together, I'm going to let you pick it and and pull the moments and I will follow your lead. But this was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed this conversation a lot.
0: I enjoyed this too. Um, it seems like an odd first place to start with things we love, you know, like a lot of people don't know who the fuck Linda Cardellini is. And we're probably like, what are these two weirdos like out there looking for people that nobody knows
1: about? But I'll tell you this, if you listen to this and you made it this far, thank you. You've probably seen a lot of these projects. Like she is one of the slow and steady people in the background. And I was excited to see her in dead to me and to, step in that leading role opposite of Christina Applegate. And my only complaint about the show was Christina Applegate's eyebrows.
0: I didn't even notice. I'm going to have to go back and look now what's going on with them.
1: My wife has made me hypersensitive to women's eyebrows, like Mm. really sensitive to them. I know what type of eyebrows in. I know the shape that I'm supposed to look for. I'm well versed on microblading. So... Christina Applegate's eyebrows are real thin, real thin. Go back and look at them. Look at her eyebrows and then look at Judy Hales and tell me if you don't see a difference.
0: (laughs) Well, what also we got to mention this if we're talking about dead to me. Um, All right. Christina Applegate. I mean, the scene in there where she's talking about the characters discussing having the double mastectomy. Yeah. And then we know that in real life that Christina Applegate. Yes. has, Has had very open public about her battle and, and the domestic. I mean, like how rough or like easy or slash brave is that to do that in that show, to open up something in your personal life and bring it into a characterization. Like, I wonder if that was written that way or if that was her input or whatever, but I'm, I just stopped what I was doing when she was talking about that. when We were watching it.
1: She had every ability To not let any of us ever know that she went through that. She has Mm -hmm. the money. She has the means to go get the surgery, to get her breast replaced, and for us Mm -hmm. to still wonder what that beautiful rack looks like. We never Mm -hmm. needed to know. She made it public, brought everybody involved in it, did a great service for women and for that cause. And I would bet dollars to donuts that when they were trying to figure out some things to put in there, she's probably like, I'd love to put this in. whatever act because she's obviously banging the drum for awareness and to put that in there and to play that but Christine Applegate has really come a long way a long way with her career because she was not all of these amazing things we talked about that Linda Carnelini was in Freaks and Geeks like as her role in married with children kelly bundy (laughs) kelly bundy that is a very one-dimensional character and she's not doing that kind of character anymore she has played the psycho easy to fly off the handle middle-aged woman for the last 10 years now and has done it better than anybody has
0: yeah i just have to think the two of them had so much fun on this show like i hope there's a fucking blooper reel
1: somewhere that we get to see at some point man And, and i think that's a big thing about art you enjoy art more when you feel like the band or the artist or the actress you feel like you enjoy it more when you can see that they're having fun do it like you know Bands like Oasis or an oddity were like, well, the music's great, but they hate each other. And so you always look at it differently because of that hatred. But bands that you know that are actually buds and they're having a good time, you, you look at them in a different way. We're like, they were, the Beatles were having fun in those first years. They were conquering the world together and having fun. And it adds a charm to it. That project seems to have that same charm.
0: Well, maybe that's what people will think about us, that we're conquering the world and having fun talking about
1: Linda Cardellini. And whatever else that comes up. All right, Connie, this was so much fun hanging out with you. I will be back here tomorrow with Billy. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. Maybe we'll take a request on what is something that you love or do you want us to do seven things we hate about Will Smith? I'm open. Well,
0: that'd be a long list for me on Will Smith.
1: (laughs) Oh, this past weekend, Memorial Day weekend with his Aladdin. That's going to be something I'm sure everybody's going to put on their list.
0: (laughs) I hope so. I got it in the mood game, don't I? (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) What was I thinking?